I'm reporting to you from um, the bedroom of um, one of the many rooms in our, our fuddy. My room doesn't have internet. Um, there's antics going on in the kitchen. There's antics going on in the lounge. And uh, Chelsea's room door doesn't shut because our house didn't finish getting renovated before the end of, um, before lockdown. So I've got a shoe that's holding the door shut um, to, ke to keep the people at bay. Um, so yeah, you guys didn't actually need all that context, but that's where I am. That's where I'm reporting to you from. But I'm not in my pajamas. I'm dressed. I'm ready. Um, so yeah, it's it's really cool together. Like it's very weird that we gather in this way. This is a strange way to do church, but it's such a joy that we still get together as a people. Um, this week has been yeah an, another I guess testing time in the sense we are in day 25 of lockdown. So it's been um, a long journey to get to this point. Um, and yeah, we've just got uncertainty sitting ahead of us. Um, so just want to acknowledge that, um, yeah, in the process of kind of leading up to writing this sermon this week, um, it was really hard to write when I haven't been in the room with you guys for a long time um, and to, to kind of um, know where we're all at. Um, I've had the joy of catching up with people and, and doing a little bit of online checking in and we sort of get these little windows into each other's lives. But I wanted to just start with a little shout out to um, the fact that right now we, um, when we catch up with each other online, we, we don't get to process the same information we would as if we were in each other's company. You know, you can kind of um, read someone's facial expressions, you can hear what they're saying, but you don't get the same vibe of like, how's this person actually doing? And so I just wanted to put the call out that, um, yeah, I think it's really important in this time that we keep um, bringing ourselves with proactive vulnerability when we're catching up with each other. Um, if you're feeling sad and you're having a hard time, um, it's going to be really important that we continue to share that with words because right now we can't kind of share that so much with body language or with other ways that we might communicate. So um, yeah, just really want to encourage you guys to keep, um, keep sharing with each other. And um, as we keep journeying through this time of COVID, um, keep, being bold in your sharing and in your um, being honest and um, connecting. So yeah, wanted to wanted to kind of say that from the outset. Um, yeah, so just getting my my notes up for this wee sermon. Catching, I um racked off with the blueprint printer um, before lockdown. It was one of the things I did, but it's. Um, kind of like a lot of things around Blueprint. It kind of only half works, so I wasn't able to print out these notes. So I've kind of got, got, got two screens going here. So seasonal guide um, that we've been working through is, is around this theme of transformation. So this week um, in our small groups, we were remembering the journey of the enslaved people of Israel um, and the story of God who was determined to bring those people out of slavery, to make them his own, and to take them on um, a long journey of recovery and being reparented by a loving God um, under loving leadership rather than under oppressive um, kind of rule and authority that they experienced in Egypt. And we've also in the last week um, been celebrating the good news of Jesus' resurrection, of um, the story of Christ crucified and risen again, and um, the new way that that makes for us. And so... Yeah, I've been thinking about these two things and thinking about how um, the experience, the kind of collective experience of the um, people of Israel to come out from Egypt and, and be rescued 
experience of collective trauma, the kind of um, whole thing of being enslaved and journeying and moving together, and how on the other side of um, their slavery, they were given a new way to live as a people. Mm -hmm. And how there's a kind of parallel thing there where we're actually experiencing a lot of change collectively. And this is a time of collective trauma. Um, And there's a lot of hope and wondering we have around what's gonna happen on the other side. What's what's gonna change? How how can we live into a new reality that's better? And so kind of was thinking around these, these three different themes and was like, oh God, like, what's the thing to speak to tonight? And um, I had a few different little things come into my mind and felt a few tugs, but nothing felt really clear. Like hearing clearly from God this week has been hard. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share on anyway, um, because sometimes we hear clearly from God and God feels really near. And sometimes God doesn't feel that near. And so we go back to um, who we've known God to be in the past. And so I just wanted to share that. Um, if faith feels a little bit weird at the moment or if hearing from God feels a bit different at the moment, that's actually okay. Um, Everything is a bit weird and a bit different at the moment. Um, And so, yeah, take heart and we go back to who we've known God to be and remembering those last things that God said to us. And yeah, it's a relational journey and relationships change um, in different seasons and that's that's okay. That's, That's all good. So, um, tonight, I'm going to kind of bring together some thoughts for you guys and going to um, also attempt to do um, a technologically advanced thing of sharing my computer screen whilst um, showing a video. So we're just, we're really pushing the boat out. Like if it wasn't enough to have Zoom Church, we're now um, also doing a video. Yeah, time. Yeah, I think one thing that has really been on my heart, ooh, I'm getting the announcement that I've been unmuted by the host, which is great because we're kind of five minutes into the sermon. (laughs) So I'm pleased to hear that. Um, Oh, so funny. Um, So something that God said to me a couple of months ago was, um, was really around a challenge of the place of scripture in the church. And I've been thinking about how um, For all of us, we have had different relationships with um, reading scripture. Maybe you grew up at Sunday school and you heard those stories and maybe you've got a really strong practice of reading scripture every day. Maybe you've come to faith more recently and um, the Bible just seems intimidating and ancient and like what the heck's going on here. It's one book. It's like 60 books. There's like kind of erotic poetry in here. There's letters. There's like history. There's genealogy. Like what is going on with this book? and I really, that is, it is challenging to engage with scripture, but I really feel like God is challenging us to be people who know our story. Um, a few months ago, some of our crew went up to Waitangi and um, yeah, we're, we're there for the Waitangi kind of commemoration and celebration times. They were on the ground and they were learning the stories and they were immersing themselves in the story of this land. And I feel the challenge for us um, is to lean into that story of where do we come from? Who are our people? Um, what are the, the stories of this land and of our ancestors, our tupuna? How does that affect who we are now? And it's the same with our, our Christian whakapapa, like actually knowing this story of scripture and um, who it is that we're connected to, the big story we're connected to um, is really important. And I think, yeah, the Old Testament can feel very old, very far away. Jesus and um, his story and this 
the context he was in in the Roman Empire is stuff that's like a little bit more familiar. Like at least that was 2000 years ago and that was a bit like, we can be a bit more familiar with that, but like ancient Middle East and like the ancient empires and Egyptians can just be like, whoa, that is so long ago. Mm. And so tonight what I want to do is um, watch this little video, which will frame up for us a little bit more of this Exodus story that we find the people in. And um, we'll kind of paint that first little bit of the picture of um, the start of the Bible and get us to um, where we find ourselves in Exodus 6. So bear with me as I attempt this feat of technological mastery, or if not mastery, just at least bare minery. Can you guys see that? Yeah. Yeah. Exodus? Okay, cool. All right, we're going to go full screen and we're going to go noise. Let's go. Let's talk about the book of Exodus. Now, you're probably familiar with this book because of the epic story of Moses leading Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Yeah, but that's just the first half of the book. The second half has Moses giving the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these blueprints for making a sacred tent. Now, right here in the middle is this story that connects these two halves together, and it all takes place at the foot of a famous mountain. Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. So the first thing we have to remember is we're continuing the story from Genesis. Yeah, in Genesis, God promised Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. When Exodus begins, 400 years have passed, the family grows and becomes the people group now called Israel. But there's this huge problem because the Israelites are enslaved to this king of the Egyptians, a guy called Pharaoh. This guy is really bad news. Yeah, he's horrible. He, he disregards their humanity, he brutally enslaves them, and he even orders that all of the Israelites' sons should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. He wants to wipe these people out. He's the worst character in the Bible so far. Here's where we meet an Israelite woman who wants to save her son. And so she does throw him in the river, but safely in this little reed basket. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes him as her own. And this is the boy who grows up to become Moses, the man who will rescue Israel from slavery. So Moses grows up and one day, much later in his life, he has this crazy encounter with God where he comes across a bush that's on fire, but it isn't actually burning up. And God speaks from the bush and he appoints Moses as the man he will use to deliver Israel. So Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him this, this news that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh, he just pretty much laughs at him. He's like, who's this God Yahweh? And in fact, he's so offended by this request, he decides to make the Israelites work even harder. So discouraged, Moses goes back to God and says, listen, this plan's not going to work. But God repeats his promise that he's going to rescue them. And in fact, it's right here for the first time in the Bible that we hear the word redemption. It literally just means to purchase a slave's freedom. But God here uses this word to describe what he's going to do for enslaved Israel. And God knows Pharaoh is going to resist, so he sends... Awesome. Did everybody get that? Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Oh, the tech. So good. Yeah, so I think... Um, I would really highly recommend, I've been reading Leviticus at the moment, and it's been so helpful to me to just spend 10 minutes before diving into that book, watching um, one of the Bible Project's videos to, to paint the bigger picture of like what's going on here and how does this connect with other parts. So I would so recommend if you are um, yeah, grappling with scripture, you're um, wanting to kind of get in, the, get in the game more with that, um, the Bible Project has some awesome resources. 
So just finding my notes again. Here we go. Yay. So this is kind of where we're finding ourselves in the story. So Moses um, hears from God about taking on this role as um, a leader to bring Israel out of captivity. And he follows God's instruction to hit up Pharaoh and say, hey, um, God says, let my people go. And this moment, first cab off the rank for, for Moses, um, Pharaoh just laughs at him and doubles down in his brutality against the Israelite people. So like quite a hard, disheartening hit for Moses to take, kind of first, first thing he's done as, as a kind of leader of these people in this time. And um, things have gone from bad to worse for them. And it's at this point that he comes back to God and says, things have got worse, like what is going on? And this is where we pick up in Exodus 6. So I'm going to read for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to the Tupuna of these people, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered this covenant I made. Therefore, go and say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. What's going on here? God says in this um, conversation with Moses, my hand is mighty and it will be by my power that we're going to jailbreak these people out of Egypt. Mm. There will be no doubt in anyone's mind how this is going to happen. Mm. It'll be because of my strength that the people will be let go. And God says, I'm, I'm picking up the old storyline. I haven't forgotten the promise I made to the old people of this um, kind of fledgling nation. They, they knew me as God Almighty in the old days, but I'm going to pick up that promise that I made. And to this generation, I'm going to reveal more of who I am. I'm going to show them more of my nature and I'm going to show them this other name that I have. And they will call me by that name, Yahweh. I am the Lord. He says, this is, this is the, the kind of God that I am. And I want the people to know me more um, as the God who lifts burdens of oppressions off the people. The one that brings freedom from slavery. I want them to know that I am sold out for them. I wholeheartedly want them as my people. And I want them to have me as their God. I want them to be safe and to live abundantly in their own land. I've seen that they were nomads and they've been minorities in other people's lands and they've experienced oppression there. 
I want to give them a place to live securely. So God is really opening up with the people here. Like this is some high vulnerability from God. And Moses goes and dutifully returns to the people and he shares this with them. And what do we see happens? The text tells us they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. And when I read that, I thought, oh man, yeah, that's just really the thing that sticks out to me most here. That actually it's, um, it takes energy to hope and it takes, um, like when, when things are just so rough, um, you, you can't even um, fathom the possibility of good things. It feels like it's too dangerous to do that. And what, what I thought about, like notice about this, is that this has happened because of the classic divide and conquer tactic that Pharaoh's used. So Moses goes and originally advocates on the people's behalf and approaches Pharaoh and Pharaoh doubles down on the people sending instructions that they need to increase their quota of bricks that they're making, that they now have to go and find the hay to actually make the bricks. And he makes their life that was already rugged even more brutal. And so what, what does this result in? This results in the people saying to Moses, oh, you have made our life even worse. Who is this, this God that you're telling us to put our trust in? He's such bad news. Things are going from bad to worse. And so God is kind of framed, I guess, through Pharaoh's actions as being the one that's instigating um, this kind of negative stuff happening. Things go from bad to worse and they were so downhearted, they didn't have the energy to hope. They didn't have the energy to risk that hope. And then this final part of the text, we see um, that God speaks again to Moses. Moses comes and says, um, oh, this isn't going well. And God just sends Moses back into the ring with Pharaoh and says, tell him to let my people go. And yeah, thinking about what do we, what do, we do with this story? We know um, that, yeah, there's this long saga where um, God kind of goes into bat for the Israelite people and systematically takes down each of the Egyptian um, kind of gods through different plagues that represent the power of those deities. And um, this, that story culminates where... Um, um, there's a there's a, a lot of deaths in the land, um, just as Pharaoh had um, submitted all the Israelites' sons to death, the firstborns to death. So God um, counters that. But after giving Pharaoh many chances to say, let the people go, let the people go, and Pharaoh refuses, and God says, this is how desperately I want deliverance for these people. And so they become this nation that God rescues and journeys with through the rest of Scripture. And so three things I want to draw our attention to tonight in this. The first of which is that dark powers of oppression are real. Oppressive forces take people captive. This happens in human experience both in ancient times and now. And because of that oppression, people can get to the point where it feels dangerous to hope and possibly dangerous to hope. In the ancient world, we, we, we read of this here and in historical texts, we know that predatory evil is at work in the world and that that evil has come to steal and to kill and to destroy life. And that often in the process of that, God's name gets discredited and imputed as the source of that, that there's actually like a rivalry going on here and a contention um, against the name of Yahweh. And we see this in the story. There's, there's oppression and there's genocide and God is framed as the cause of that suffering. And all of us, I think, can relate to this at some level, whether it's um, that you're a really spiritually um, attuned person and you actually encounter evil and 
experience that and are, are um, I guess, aware of that at a, um, at a spiritual level in the world, or whether you're someone who's really well read and you have um, heard the stories throughout history of the litany of, of tyrants and um, just the stories of oppression and um, just ruggedness that have, has gone on throughout humanity, or whether you're someone who's um, become self-aware enough to notice that actually, yep, you're good, but there's a lure of evil which calls to you in your own life. Um, it calls to you to enjoy um, the greed and spoils of your own things at the expense of others, or that putting another person down is a way for you to build yourself up. The yoke of oppression is, is active in the world. Sin is alive and it's alluring, and it um, yeah, seeks to draw us in and to, to push us down. So that's the first point. The second one is that in this story, God is really revealing something of his character. And central to that is that God is a God of deliverance. This God stands against the oppressor. This God desires freedom and is prepared to go to extreme lengths to win that for his people. This is a pivotal moment in the unwinding, unfolding story of scripture where God is um, revealing himself more and more to the people. So we're, Exodus is the second, second book of the Bible. So it's like, we're pr pretty early on here still. Um, but here God is saying, I want you and I want you to have me. I have heard you crying out and I want to set you free. I am a God of justice and of action and I will not stand for you to be in chains. This is who God is revealing himself to be. And later on in scripture, as, as the story unfolds, we see that even more fully in the person of Jesus. So Jesus comes as God on earth in human form, and he says the same thing. He says, I want you, and I want you to have me. I have heard you crying out, and I'm about to set you free. My kingdom is at hand. I am one with the Father who is a God of justice and action, and I will take on your chains so that you don't have to wear them. And this is the same God who comes to us as the Holy Spirit now and says, I want you. You can have me with you now. I've heard you crying out. I am setting you free. I am one with the Father of justice and action and of the Son, Jesus, um, whose life is one of love and victory. You, you seem to be, um, have become tied up in chains again. Let me cut those off you. So starting particularly in this moment, we get this revelation of who God is. And then this culminates in the person of Jesus, where we um, get to see God the most clearly we've been able to. And it continues now with the revelation of God to us through the Holy Spirit. And so I want to draw our attention for those of you who um, were here last week to a, a thing that Susie said in her sermon. And I think it's something that really resonated for a lot of us. And she, she told of a time where um, it, was, it felt really dangerous for her to hope that, um, yeah, it was just like, oh, that just seems like too much energy. And she was sharing about how she heard God clearly um, in that moment. And the thing that God said to her was, it's not what you can offer me, it's what I can offer you. And this is what we see here in this story. This is the same character of God that we see in this story. God comes to the people and offers them freedom to make a way for them where they could not. And he does this by tackling the oppressor and by inviting them into relationship with him as a good God. 
he, um, he takes them on this journey um, out of Egypt and he kind of reparents them, I guess, through the wilderness. They go on this long journey of figuring out what it means to be a people um, that are bound together through their relationship um, that's connected to God. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to remind us that, um, I want to remind us that the Israelites were slaves. They didn't really have anything to offer God other than the fact they were quite good at brick making. He, God didn't choose them because um, they were the best and they'd really earned it and they were like really like showing they're onto it. He chose them because he wanted them. It was a gift of grace. And so the third point I want to come to tonight is around this theme of transformation we've been exploring. And I, I want to say on that is that transformation comes not through what we can offer God, but through receiving what he offers us. And I think, I don't know, we, there's been jokes made about this, but kind of this lockdown time being a time where some of us can feel the pressure to take up 600 new hobbies and like start fermenting the kombucha, start making the sourdough babies, knit lots of stuff, watch all the TV, read all the books, become more fit, learn a new language, like so, so much kind of uh, stuff, which is like good, all good in and of itself. But we can kind of, apply that mentality of self-help or self-actualization um, to this process of transformation with God. And of course we bring ourselves, but I want to remind us and reorient us tonight that transformation comes not through us um, bringing our best selves or our most kind of project list um, um, upskilling attitude to God, but through us receiving what God offers to us, mm-hmm. knowing that we um, we, we haven't earned it and um, it's not a performance um, and that transformation happens through relationship with this God. And so to finish tonight, I just want to share with you um, one of the lectionary readings for this evening, which is from first Peter one and it's entitled a living hope. And I think um, what's beautiful about that is that for some of us, this time might be a time where it feels like it's quite hard to hope or quite hard to bring the energy to hope. And in, in the midst of that, God holds hope, and the living hope we have is in Jesus. And so, yeah, God holds hope, and God is at work um, for deliverance in the world, even where we can't hold hope. Yeah. And so I'll read to you from, from First Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even when refined through fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you don't now see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls.